This podcast is a ministry of Christian Life Center in Berwyn, Illinois. Our goal is to create a real faith for the real world, and we hope this helps you grow. For more information on Christian Life Center, visit us at our website, www.berwynag.org. Thank you. Has anyone ever seen the movie Shutter Island? All of my uh, uh, Bible college professors just shrieked that I'm using this as a, in an illustration. I think it actually might even be rated R, which we weren't allowed to go see when we were in Bible college. Um, Shutter Island is a movie starring Leonardo DiCaprio, and I think Mark Ruffalo is in it as well. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio plays this character. He's a detective. And the movie starts with him and his partner, Mark Ruffalo, on a boat approaching an island. And on the island, Shutter Island, is an insane asylum. And they're going there because there is, has been a murder on the island. One of the patients has escaped the asylum and is, is roaming free, and they, she murdered a bunch of people as she was leaving. So they're coming there to investigate what's happening on the island at the asylum. And they get there, and as they peruse the asylum, it's a little crazy there. That was a joke. Um, as, they, as they walk around the island, they talk to, to the, the, I don't know what, I guess headmaster, I guess it would be. Um, uh, he seems a little off, and everyone seems a little off, and they start to think maybe this, there's some kind of conspiracy going on here. And just as they seem like they're going to uncover something, he wakes up the next morning, and Leonardo DiCaprio's character is suddenly in all white, and he's in a padded room. And he screams out to the orderlies, and he's like, I don't belong in here. And that's what they all say. You're crazy. You're a patient. And he says, no, I'm a detective. You brought me here. Where's my badge and my gun? And they're nowhere to be found. And everyone, his doctors, the orderlies, everyone tell him, tells him, oh, that's just something that you made up in your head. You're crazy. That whole life of you as a detective, it's all a fabrication. And they get him to the point where he's questioning, am I really, am I a detective? Am, am, or am I really crazy? And that's where I'll leave the movie, because, I mean, you might want to go see it. But, um, but that idea, this identity crisis that we see his character go through, go through it got me thinking of the identity crisis that we see Christians go through all the time. Have you ever asked your, found yourself asking, what does God think of me? How does God view me? What is my real relationship with God? I know how I may feel about him, but how does he really feel about me? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? I know I have. I can say that. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to try and find the answer so that question, what does God really think of you and me? And it's an easy question to answer because the answer is in Galatians 3, 26. Sometimes pastors and speakers pe- preach these sermons um, to tell these elaborate stories. And they weave you all throughout the story. And it, it kind of brings you all along. And you're like, where is this guy going with this? And all of a sudden, he wraps it around at the end. And it hits his main point. And you're like, oh my gosh, mind blown. I, can't, I didn't see he was going there. It's a total surprise. That's not what, how this message is. 
uh, answer is clear. How does God view you? You are a son of God. He views you as a son. This, I, this tool of identity crisis is used by the enemy all the time. He uses it in our lives, and he used it in Jesus' life. We see in Matthew chapter 4, he goes into the desert, and what, is the, what does the enemy tempt him with? He says, if you are truly a son of God, if you are truly a son of God, then change the stones into bread or throw yourself off the temple, right? If you are truly the Son of God, and He does the same thing to you every day, if you are truly a Son of God, then why hasn't your prayer been answered? You've been praying for that a long time. If you're a Son of God, why hasn't He answered that? If you are truly a Son of God, why do you still find yourself struggling with that sin? If you are a Son of God, why do you, why do you hurt in your alone time. If you're a son of God, why do you hate the silence? You ever gone through, through something where you hated the quiet? Because in the quiet, you start to, your mind starts to race and you can start to hear all the things, all, all the temptations and everything that hurts you and everything that crushes you. So you, so you take your life and you, and you just fill it with sound and you have earbuds in and you have the TV on and, you, and your radio's on in your car. And you just try and fill the, the, the quiet with, with sound so that you don't have to hear the word in your head. Have you ever gone through that? Man, that's not even my notes. That's just, God has that for someone. God wants to speak to you in the quiet. Stop running from him. The enemy tries to use that identity crisis. He tries to use those questions. If you're truly a son of God, we as Christians, we need to stand firm and confident when that question comes and say, I am a son of God. And you need to know why you're a son of God. And you need to know what it means to be a son of God. Otherwise, you will crumble from the pressure of that question. You need to know what that means. And you're in luck because I've been studying all week and I'm going to tell you. The Bible says that we have been adopted as sons of God. Adoption is not a popular theology. It's not, not something that's preached from the pulpits most Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. Uh, but it's an important one. Many times you hear that we are all children of God. God loves all his children. He does, but we're not all children of God. Those of us with faith in Christ, through our faith in Christ, we have been adopted as sons of God. Now, the idea of adoption that Paul is using here uh, was important to the Greco-Roman culture. It was a big deal. It wasn't the same way that we view adoption, right? When we adopt a child today, we adopt an infant or sometimes a, a little bit of an older child. We welcome into our family. We create them, create from a home, and we're just, we're just pouring ourselves into the kid, right? Josh and Mary just, just adopted little Jory. She's so cute. Not just, but recently. Right? And they created a family. Sorry, guys, you're the first person to have anyone. I thought of adoption. You guys created a family for her. She's not giving anything to you besides the, the love that she gives back to you. Right? She created, you created that family for her. That's not how adoption was in this Greco Roman world. They wouldn't adopt small children, there was no use to it. What they would be adopting is a young male, a family who couldn't have children, but adopt 
a young male that, they, that the father could leave his legacy to. For the child, sometimes it was a slave. For them to carry on the ways of the father, for them to, to have someone to, to give uh, the, uh, all of the things that they've owned, the fullness of everything that they have to give to that child. And in return, what the father would be getting would be someone who's going to help him, someone who's going to work alongside him, someone who's going to grow his name. It was a mutual relationship. We have been adopted as sons of God. I say sons and not daughters because it's important to note that God does not view you women as a daughter. I know, I just like shocked every women's ministry ever. He doesn't view you as daughters of the Lord. If he, viewed you, if he adopted you as a daughter, then he would be selling you off for a sheep. That's about what daughters were worth in those days. It is powerful as a woman. I'm not a woman, so I wouldn't know. But I would think that it would be powerful as a woman to, to realize the fact that God views you as a son. He doesn't want to give you what a, what a father in those days would have given to his daughter. He wants to give you what he would give to a son. The scripture here in, in Galatians says that there is no male or female. There's child of God. He views us all. Through your faith in Christ, he views you as a son of God. Now, when you're adopted as a son, there's privileges and responsibilities that come with that. Hold up. One real, one real quick little tidbit about the, the way adoption worked in those days. When a family would adopt a son, he had every single right that a birth son would have. You realize what that means? Who's God's birth son? That's Jesus. That means we have every single right that Jesus does. That means God loves us the way that he loves Jesus. That means that we can have the relationship that Jesus portrays throughout the Gospels. We can have that relationship with, with God. How awesome is that? The fullness of that relationship. Pretty cool. So the privileges of the son. The son had many privileges. First, we're going to talk about three, okay? We're going to talk about uh, the first one being we're given the right to claim the father's name. In those days... If a slave or a young man was adopted into the family, in, adopted by someone, his old life was passed away. Everything that he owed because of his name was passed away. It wasn't like African-American slavery in the United States where we were just you know, stealing people out of, out of, the, out of the, um, you know, their tribes and, and hauling them over here and forcing them to work. This was slavery in the sense that these people owed huge debts. Their family owed huge debts, so they would sell their children into slavery to work off those debts. But when a man would adopt a young man into his home, all of those debts were forgiven. He did not owe anything that his previous name owed. Because in the sense, uh, in the eyes of the Roman government, he was a new man. He belonged to a new family. In the same way, when we're adopted into the family of God, when we're adopted as sons of God, those old names that we used to cling on to, the names that we would drag around, the way, names that we would identify ourselves with are gone. Names like loser, failure, drunk, addict, victim, abuser, worthless, unloved, 
all of those names have been cast off because you are new. I believe that's a word for someone today. You are new. You are a new creation as a son of God. Every debt, every tie to your previous life has been cut off and you are new. And now instead of dragging around chains like addict or victim, those chains are broken and you can grab hold of the new names that God wants to call you. He calls us many names throughout the scripture. Here's just a couple. He calls us beloved children of God. He calls you His treasured possession. He calls you a co-heir with Christ. He calls you a more than a conqueror. He calls you chosen. He calls you friend. He calls you apple of His eye. And He calls you redeemed, church. He calls you redeemed. Come on, there's too many people that are still clinging to the old name of their old life. We see... I gave an example in the first service of how the world deal, deals with things, even in Alcoholics Anonymous. How do you label yourself? Hi, I'm Seth. I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. Even if, after you've been set free. You've been sober for years. Hi, I'm Seth. I'm an alcoholic. That's not what God has for you. You have been set free. And we need to claim that. Along with the blessings that come along with being a son, there are responsibilities. For example, we get to claim the name of God, but that also means that the name of God follows us around everywhere. And that means that every person that we encounter, we are representing God to them. If a group of pastors in the Chicago area would gather together today, and I would walk in with a name tag that said Tinberg, I would immediately be given respect because of who my father is. Because they respect Dave Tinberg. But if I walk in there and you know, the, the microphone has to censor out everything I'm saying, and I start talking trash, and I start talking heresy, then I'm starting to tarnish his name. And what that does is it not only affects their view of me, and it not only affects their view of my father, but it also affects the relationship between my father and I. And that's how it works with us and God. We, follow, we follow, walk around and we represent God. And if we misrepresent Him, then it's not only causing strain between that person and God, it's not only causing strain between me and this person, it's causing strain between us and God. You're starting to separate yourself from God. Second thing that we get to claim as a son of God is the father's citizenship. In Roman culture, citizenship was a big deal. And along with, with being adopted, you, you were able to claim the father's citizenship. So if you're a slave, you weren't a Roman citizen, you could claim the father's citizenship. This is a, this is a big deal. We, we see in Acts 22, Paul um, uses his Roman citizenship to get out of a jam. He's getting beaten and, and pummeled. And as they're pulling his body off, uh, he says, would you do this to a Roman? And they stop what they're doing. They stop beating him. And they call in their, their, you know, uh, their, uh, their offici officiating officer. And he comes in and he says, are you a Roman? And Paul says, yes, I was born into it. Paul was born in Tarsus. There's two ways to become a, a Roman citizen. You could either buy it for a lot of money or you could be born into it. Paul was born into it because he was born in Tarsus. That 
that weight of I'm a Roman citizen carried, or the, the, Rome, the idea of Roman citizenship carried a lot of weight. Because when Paul said, I am a Roman, it meant that you're not just messing with me, you're messing with Rome. And you're not just messing with me, you're messing with the Roman army. Because I am a citizen of Rome. Bring it a little bit closer home. If I were to travel to a foreign country, I would be in a foreign land, I would be under foreign law, but everywhere I go, I would carry around a passport that said the United States. And that passport is a symbol to all that you're not just messing with me if you try and mistreat me, you're messing with the United States. And ideally, the way that would work is when someone does mess with, uh, with a citizen of the United States, the country would go to bat for that person and say, give us our guy back. Now, as we all know, it doesn't always work out that way. Our, go our government is, is, is flawed the same way every government's flawed because they're all uh, forged on earth. We see the situation with Pastor Saeed. He gets uh, uh, taken captive and, and he's, he's over there for, for so long. And, and nothing happens for him. No one goes to bat for him. And that decreases the weight of our, our citizenship as United States citizens. But you see, where our earthly government is imperfect, our heavenly citizenship is perfect. Amen. See, Pastor Saeed may have been over there and no one in our government was doing anything for him. But while that was happening, his heavenly citizenship was going into full effect because there was an army of angels that were fighting a spiritual battle on his behalf. And there were saints whose hearts were being stirred to pray for him. I know many of you in this congregation prayed for him daily. You've never met him, but you prayed for him daily. You never met his wife and children, but you prayed for them daily. The heavenly citizenship started to come, uh, started to come out. It started to go into effect. See, because when we're going through something, and we're walking through dangerous land, uh, land here on earth, we can realize that we have a seal upon our arm that says we belong to him. And that no matter where we go, and no matter what our situation, is, our situation is, we can know that he will not leave us and he will not forsake us because we have that promise. We can claim that, that heavenly citizenship, he will not leave us. Now, just like with the name, the citizenship comes with a responsibility as well. My wife was, was born in Romania, and uh, when she was in college, uh, she was a legal citizen, she had a green card, and then when she was in college, uh, we went together to uh, make her a naturalized citizen. Uh, when we went there, uh, she had to sign something that says she throws or um, denounces, thank you, whoever said that, denounces all ties to every foreign nation that she had formerly belonged to, which was Romania. When we grab hold of the citizenship of heaven, we can't cling on to that old life. You can't have two, uh, you know, one foot in each side of the line. 
So if you want to be a citizen, want to claim that citizenship of the Father, you have to be all in. Your allegiance must be must be to God alone. Many times we find ourselves keeping those little portions of our, uh, portions of our old life, right? We're like, we ch- man, God, I changed everything except that one little thing that I keep for myself in my pocket, right? That's a dangerous life to live. It's dangerous. Because those little things start to grow. And soon, you won't be able to stand up anymore. Third thing that we're given claim to as children of God, as sons of God, we are given claim to the Father's inheritance. Now, in the, in the Greco-Roman culture, you would receive your inheritance um, in two parts. You would receive, when you became of age, you would receive an inheritance for, your, for the time while your father's alive. And then following your father's death, you'd receive the fullness of your inheritance. The fullness of God's inheritance that I believe that we're going to receive is the kingdom of God. If you think in the most basic terms, an inheritance is you're receiving everything of the fathers, right? When my old man croaks, God forbid it. When he croaks, me, Matthew, and Lee are going to get together and we're going to finger through everything he has. It's going to take about 10 minutes. Um, (laughs) Five minutes, maybe. We're going to you know, read his will, and then it'll divide up amongst ourselves. But, but in the Greco-Roman culture, there was a deposit of that will that was given, a piece of land for you to live with your family. There was a deposit there. And the same is true for, for our, our heavenly inheritance. A couple of things on, on, on our inheritance. Uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 4 that it is priceless and beyond the reach of, de- of change and decay. Paul says in Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, I pray that your eyes may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The Bible tells us that our inheritance is great. He tells us that I can't necessarily tell you exactly what that inheritance is going to be when you reach heaven. I can't tell you that it's going to be amazing. Peter says it's going to be priceless. What I can tell you is it will be greater than anything that you can think of because you're going to be receiving the fullness of God, the fullness of His Spirit, the fullness of His kingdom. We can't even comprehend that. Imagine uh, the, the, we had awesome worship today, okay? I, I, um, I, I, at least I did, I don't know if you guys did. But we had an awesome time of worship today. That is not even a speck of what the fullness of God will feel like. Not even a speck. We worshiped for 30 minutes. And we were like, man, that was good. Man, in heaven it's going to be an eternity of it. I'm not one of those people, okay, let me just footnote here. Uh, the Bible does not necessarily say what I'm about to say. I'm going to tell you my opinion on 
what that means, okay? So, closed caption. I'm not one of those people that believes that heaven is going to be one giant eternal worship service. I believe that when we go on the, on the new heaven and the new earth, it's going to be a lot like his original vision for it. It's just going to be perfect. I believe that if you love to cook, you're going to be cooking. And if you love to, to eat, you're going to be eating. Come on. If you love to eat, I just want to ask you to come for it. No, I'm just joking. And in the same way, if you, if you love to build, I believe that you'll be able to work with your hands and build if you want to. You'll be able to do what you love. It will just be in a more perfect way. I stole it from Judah Smith, so I just got to give him credit. I can't explain to you how great that will be, but what I can tell you is what the deposit is. God has a deposit of your inheritance that he has given you already, and you don't even know it. He's giving you a deposit, and that deposit comes in the form of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit bears witness to you being a child of God. It is, man, it is the, it's the deposit, man. Come on. You didn't even know you had it. Your dad's already given you some of your inheritance. You didn't even know you had it. It's the joy that comes up in you when you're going through a trial and you're like, man, I don't know why I'm happy. It's the peace that when, when your whole entire situation comes crashing down, it's the peace that you're like, man, I can't. And the Holy Spirit is bearing, bearing witness, uh, per, per Romans, it's bearing witness that you are a child of God because he's saying, look at the peace inside that kid's heart. He belongs to the king. Look at the, look at the joy in that child's heart. He belongs to the king. He's bearing witness that you are a child of God. That is your deposit, man. You need to be thankful for that. Whew, fired up. Again, just like there are blessings and privileges to grabbing hold of the inheritance, there is also, there's also a responsibility that comes with it. See, if you're going to be adopted into the family and you're going to get that inheritance, you've got to be part of the family business. The family business is loving on people. The family business is growing the kingdom of God. So what that means is that you can't come to this altar and you can't get saved and all you do is just, well, I'm just going to go back every Sunday and we're going to have a time. No, you've got to get off your butt. You've got to go out and you've got to speak that love into someone's heart. You've got to take that deposit that's been deposited in you and use that for God's glory. You need to speak it into someone's life. You need to be used for God's glory. You need to grow the kingdom. Come on, saints. I said you need to grow the kingdom. Too many times, too many times do we find ourselves seated in a pew when we should be out there speaking life and love into someone's life. There are so many hurting people. There's hurting people inside these walls. We need to spend a little bit more time looking into someone's heart than we do looking up at a screen. Those are some of the privileges that we get and the responsibilities that we have when we're adopted as son. There's one more thing, though, that I want to mention that we get 
and we're adopted as sons of God. We have a new relationship with God. Do you realize that before you were saved, you were a sinner and God was the eternal judge? You realize that? You were a sinner, God was the eternal judge. In the moment that you decided to, 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 to turn your heart and open your heart to God, and you accepted Jesus into your heart, and you began to have that faith, the moment that you were adopted as a son of God, that no longer was it eternal judge and sinner, it was father and son. No longer was it distant, high uh, uh, a being out there who lives in the trees. No. It was a father and a son. It was someone who loves you. It was someone who sees you when you're hurting. It is someone who cares for you and wants to love on you. He wants to pour his heart out on you. It is a deep relationship. Do you realize that before you were a sinner, Jesus was the man who died on the cross? But after you've been redeemed, Jesus is now your co-heir. And as I touched on earlier, that means that everything that can be found in those four books that he did, that power resides in you as a co-heir. Every miracle, every demon that he cast out, that power resides in you. Because in the same way that Jesus did it, you are also a co-heir. You are his brother. And somebody's got to get excited about that. The Bible says if we share in his sufferings, we'll also share in his glory. Come on. So God is now your father, your loving father, and and Jesus is now your brother. And the Holy Spirit is now your witness, as I said earlier. He's testifying that you are the child of God. Man, your life sounds pretty good. You have a new family. And not only that, but you have a new, not only just the, the trinity that's up there, you have a, a, have a new family in every person that's sitting to your right and to your left. So if you're still in your seat and you're still asking yourself, what does God think of me? How does God view, view me as a son if I'm, if I'm in this situation and I feel so alone? You're not alone. Look to your left or your right. He's placed a brother or a sister alongside of you to walk you through that. And I can attest that, that when you're feeling alone in a situation, your eyes just aren't open. I know from my personal experience, seeing people come alongside me and come alongside my family and come alongside my friends to walk with them and to pray with them, to encourage them. You are not alone. You are not forsaken. God sees you and He's working in your life. And, and you may not see the battle that's taking place, but there, are, there is a war being waged in the spiritual uh, uh, a sense that, that you can't see. And He's working. You just have to trust and you have to believe and your faith must remain in Christ. And you have to stand firm on the fact that you are a son of God and He loves you. And He sees you in your hurt. He sees you in your pain. And He wants to heal you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to be there with you and be there for you. Man, we got a good God. 
all of this, every privilege that I've talked about, every responsibility that I've talked about, it only comes through our adoption as a son of God. And our adoption as a son of God only comes through our faith in Jesus Christ, as it says in Galatians. It only comes through our faith in Christ. Man, God is here today. And He wants to welcome you into His family. He wants to accept you as His Son. He wants to adopt you. If you have felt lost, if you have felt unwanted or unloved, or, or, or you belong to any of those other names that I mentioned earlier, God wants to give you a new name. He wants to give you a new hope. He wants to give you a new future. So if that's you and you, and you feel the pain in your heart and you say, Pastor Seth, I, I want to feel that love. I want to invite you to come forward. God wants to claim you as a son. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope you were blessed by it. If there's anything that we can do to help you further your relationship with God, we would love to be a part of it. You can contact us through our website, www.berwinag.org. Thank you, and God bless.